Welcome to Crypto IRL. Some say crypto is a scam. Others swear it is a breakthrough technology. But which is it? Join us as we explore crypto in real life. Welcome to episode 53. Today's topic is credit. It's complicated. If you're like me, then you were a little awkward in college. Here's an example of an interaction I had on campus as I walked from my dorm to class. And so this pretty college student, she approaches me and she says, Hey, do you want a free t-shirt? And me, I look down and I awkwardly look away and then I run off in the opposite direction. Don't hurt me. It's complicated. Let's flash back a few months before this super awkward interaction. So many thoughts rushed through my head as I packed my bags. I wondered if my American professors would understand my Nigerian accent. I wondered if I would easily make friends, maybe meet a nice girl. But then my mother rocked me back to earth as she exclaimed, Please stay away from Kerikadzu. Apparently, someone's son was drowning in credit card debt. I guess he thought the money was free. In Nigeria, less than 3% of consumers have access to credit. It's a stark contrast to the US, where 83% of adults have credit cards, according to the Federal Reserve. My mom's friend's son had recently relocated from Nigeria to the US for college. He was woefully unaware of how to manage credit. He would stop and chat with the pretty college co-eds, waving free t-shirts in front of the gym. Eventually, he signed up for a couple of credit cards. And then it went all downhill. He didn't stand a chance. And so, I stayed away from credit cards. The case for credit. But my views have evolved. I no longer see credit as a tool for self-destruction. Rather, I see credit as a tool. It's neither good nor bad. It's just a tool. If used properly, credit could help people build wealth and live healthier and happier lives. But if used improperly, it could lead to financial ruin. Credit is a double-edged sword, my friends. Now, living in Nigeria meant you paid cash for everything. The words mortgage, car loan, student debt, and credit card bills were not in our vocabulary. No one had credit. And so you paid 100% cash when you bought a house or a car. The lack of credit also meant that no one had a credit score. And so if you wanted to rent an apartment, you would have to pay one to two years of rent upfront. Needless to say, many of my cousins lived with their parents well into their late 20s and early 30s. Can you imagine if the US had the same setup as Nigeria? There would be untold pain in the land. According to the National Association of Realtors, the average new home buyer in the US paid just 7% of the total purchase price as down payment and took out a loan for the rest. Similarly, according to Statista, 85% of new car purchases in the U.S. are financed. Collectively, 
Americans owe more than $1.2 trillion in car loans. In Nigeria, I bet the total is closer to zero. But you see, the ability to thoughtfully take on credit could save lives. Many hospitals in Nigeria require full payments before treatments are rendered. Too many people have needlessly died while family members frantically rush to raise funds to pay for life-serving treatment. It's desperately heart-wrenching. The ability to take on mortgages could help many families own their own homes and start building multi-generational wealth. Construction loans also enable investors to deliver more housing units to eager customers. Access to credit could enable a business owner to grow and sustain their business. Businesses might need loans to purchase raw materials to fulfill large orders. Businesses could even offer credit to customers, enabling them to buy more of their products. Credit could provide the runway a growing entrepreneur needs to take off. The list could go on. The bottom line is that access to credit could help grow the economy while enabling people and businesses to lead more prosperous lives. If this is true, then why do only 3% of Nigerians have access to credit? Problems D. My sense is that credit penetration is low for a couple of key reasons. Number one, structural. Nigeria doesn't have a well-established credit score system. In other countries, credit scores are linked to a national identity number, like the social security number in the US. Nigeria has recently introduced a national identification number. This is an important first step. Number two, enforcement. Nigeria experiences weak enforcement of justice. That's putting it nicely. This means that creditors are highly exposed if the debtor does not pay. I've heard of judges being bribed, police turning the other eye, and uneven treatment. Creditors may not reliably have recourse for bad loans. Number three, other businesses. Given the aforementioned risks, Nigerian banks have often considered other business opportunities to be more lucrative than consumer lending. It's not high on the priority list. Number four, policy. Government policy does not expressly encourage the extension of credit to the masses. Incentives, if any, do not appear to be working. Nonetheless, there are many exciting fintechs working to crack this nut. I recently met a couple of them at a fintech happy hour in New York City. They are developing local solutions to local problems. QuickCheck is one of the exciting fintechs extending credit to Nigerians through a mobile app. This startup was funded in 2017. They use artificial intelligence and machine learning to extend microloans to customers. QuickCheck's lending process is very fast, less than 10 minutes, and does not require any paper documents. QuickCheck has funded over 1.1 million microloans, averaging $80 for 30-day terms. 
the total value of loans dispersed exceeds $40 million. Now, most of the customers are middle class and 80% are between the age of 25 and 43. Returning customers account for 70% of loans provided each month. Now, the average interest charge is 40 to 50% per annum. But bear in mind that most loans are only for one month long terms. So it's actually paid less than that in effect. Customers often use these loans to cover emergency expenses, school fees, or just business expenses. You see, Quick Check works like a middleman. They borrow large chunks of money at lower interest rates from high net worth individuals and institutions. Then they turn around and lend out small chunks of money at a higher interest rate to individuals and small and medium-sized businesses. They profit from the difference between interest rates. However, they also take the risk of issuing bad loans and the cost of their operations. QuickCheck needs to borrow more money so that it can grow its lending business and extend its impact. Unfortunately, it finds itself in an underserved in-between class of small and medium-sized enterprises. You see, typically, businesses that need to raise less than $100,000, they can access these funds from local high net worth individuals or the capital markets. And then larger businesses seeking to raise more than $5 million can often access these funds from institutional creditors. But QuickCheck's needs are right in between these two buckets. DeFi to the rescue? So decentralized finance, DeFi, seeks to reduce costs and increase efficiency by using smart contracts and blockchain technology to eliminate middlemen like banks. For instance, today, if you wanted to borrow $100,000 to buy a house, you might go to Bank of America. They will assess your credit worthiness and determine what interest rate to offer you. Now, mind you, Bank of America has thousands of employees and expensive offices all around the country. Thus, the interest rate they offer you needs to be high enough to offset their costs and deliver a profit to their shareholders. Additionally, the US has a recent history of bias in lending. Several banks, most notably Wells Fargo, have admitted that some underrepresented minority groups were unfairly charged higher interest rates than others with similar qualifications. DeFi could help fix this. DeFi relies on smart contracts. This helps remove human bias. Now, smart contracts are a computer code. They simply operate based on data. So if a person wanted to borrow $100,000, the smart contract might check to determine if certain qualifications are met. If true, then it disperses a loan. And because DeFi applications don't have thousands of employees or expensive offices, they could offer more competitive interest rates than traditional lenders. This is good for the end consumer. Now today, much of DeFi relies on over-collateralization to issue loans. Thus, if you wanted to borrow $100,000 cash, 
you might be required to provide $150,000 of Bitcoin collateral, which is held as you repay the loan. Now, over-collateralization works for crypto-rich who are cash-poor, but and these people who believe that the value of digital assets will rise in the future. However, it does not work for the underbanked or those who do not have a substantial pile of digital assets. DeFi needs to extend beyond over-collateralization in order for it to achieve more impact. Fortunately, there are a number of exciting crypto projects working on this. Meet Goldfinch. Goldfinch has provided QuickCheck, our, our friends in Nigeria, with $1.5 million debt since January 2020. Now, Goldfinch is a decentralized protocol that allows for borrowing without crypto collateral. It's focused on reaching underserved emerging markets in Africa, South America, and Asia. In January 2022, Goldfinch raised $25 million in funding from Andreessen Horowitz, Coinbase Ventures, SV Angel, Bill Ackman, and others. The startup previously raised $11 million in June 2021. Now, Goldfinch works by the interplay of four types of protocol participants. The first, borrowers. So these are small and medium-sized businesses seeking to borrow funds. Borrower pools list the loan terms the borrower seeks, such as the interest rate, amount, and loan term. Borrowers typically request funds in USDC, the stablecoin backed one-to-one -one with US dollars. Number two, backers. So backers assess the borrower pools and determine whether they should provide first loss capital. First loss capital means that the backers are eligible to receive a higher return on the loan than other capital providers. But if the borrower defaults, the backers will be the first not to get paid. Number three, liquidity providers, LPs. Now LPs provide the senior line of credit to earn passive yield. They don't have to actively assess every proposed borrower. Rather, LP funds are invested if there is sufficient level of commitment from backers. Now, when LPs provide senior credit, a portion of their interest is redirected to backers to incentivize the backers to properly assess borrowers. Number four, auditors. Auditors vote to approve borrowers. They provide a human level check to guard against fraud. Auditors are randomly selected. So here I've included an illustration of how the Goldfinch protocol works. Now, after borrowing, borrowers, once a loan has been issued, Borrowers make repayments to the borrower pool based on the interest rates and payment period. When the borrowers pay more than the interest owed, the remainder is applied to the principal balance, just like any other type of loan. Now, the borrower pools have a senior tranche and a junior tranche. LPs provide funds for the senior tranche, while the backers supply to the junior tranche. When the borrower repays, 
Deborah Paul first applies the funds to interest and principal owed to the senior tranche at that time. And then the remaining funds are then applied to the junior tranche's interest and principal balance at that time. Then backers and LPs, they receive an NFT when they initially supply capital. This NFT tracks the amount that was supplied and the amount that is still outstanding. These NFTs ensure that no one can redeem more than their proportional share of the total repayments as they come in. So for example, if two backers each supplied $1,000 for a total of 2,000 borrowed, and the borrower has only paid back $400 thus far, the NFTs ensure that each backer can only redeem up to $200, which is their portion of the repayments thus far, rather than each backer racing to redeem the full $400 themselves. Make sense? I think Goldfinch is really interesting, really cool. For more information on how this protocol is structured and how participants are incentivized, please check out their white paper. I've provided the link. Closing thoughts. There is a tremendous and growing market for credits, especially in emerging markets like Nigeria. It's exciting to see crypto solutions like Goldfinch tackle this problem. But Nigeria has over 200 million people. Goldfinch is still a drop in the ocean of opportunity. Fortunately, technology does not scale linearly. Adoption could grow exponentially. I believe the market is big enough for many more players to emerge. Let's hope that's the case. Have a good day. Thank you.